and we beheld his glory. I mentioned last Sunday that it was just about exactly a decade ago. That doesn't seem possible. A decade ago that we studied John together. I can't tell you how many times I've read John since then and books on John. I wanted to revisit it. I don't know how long. might be a long series. might not be as long as the other. John has a, a marvelous, marvelous uh, tone, a gospel tone. So this is part two. The Light Shining in the Darkness is the title I've given this message. I want to look at John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, the intro to this uh, series. I did a lot of background stuff on John. That's online. You can follow that up if you'd like. All things were made through him. We talked about this last week, the him. That's Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. And we talked about the reason for the repetition of that idea. Four, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I know we already studied the third verse of this opening chapter last Sunday, but I've included it, not for mere repetition, but because I think it reveals something of John's uh, continuing argument in these opening verses. John's point, it seems to me, is not only that we can be rescued by Christ in this present moment of history, but he frames it. We've been created by Christ at the beginning of history. We will return to Christ at the end of this world's history. So what John seems to be saying is past, present, future. Jesus Christ is the the point man. He's the central figure in the entire unfolding of history. So here we are. When you're sitting here trying to sort out your life, as you turn, you can from expert to expert, theory to theory, religion to religion. John is saying Jesus Christ and his will and his rule, this is where you came from. That's why you exist right now, because of Jesus Christ. He designed you. He made you. He set the terms for life abundant. He is where your life is headed eternally, like it or not, believe it or not. He is the ultimate judge of all. He will be Lord over a whole new creation. So John is saying... In other words, whether you count yourself a religious person or not makes no difference. Finding the meaning, the true story of your life is simply an impossibility for any human being apart from Jesus Christ. That's how big this is. No one can figure himself out apart from Jesus Christ. That's the logic behind the plea of John and the gospel. Come, come to the word who made you. Come to the word who came to bring you life. You were created by this word. Now return to him. That's the case John is making. This is what separates Jesus from a host 
of other religious options by a country mile. I mean, John's gospel begs the question, who else could possibly restore us other than the one who first made us? Who else can know what true life means other than the one who designed it? The originator of all life in the first place. Of course, there are no other options. Come to Jesus Christ. What else would make sense? But not everyone comes to Jesus. And that's the key issue, verses 4 and 5 kind of drill down into. I think there are two ideas processed here. That's what I want to look at this morning. So point number one, authentic life continuously flows from Jesus like light continuously flows from the sun. It's in that fourth verse. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Don't miss the point. John doesn't just mean to say Jesus had life or he was a person full of life. His, he's saying Jesus was. When John describes Jesus, he describes him as someone who was life and was light the way the sun is light. Not the way the moon receives light and reflects it. But the sun has light in itself, a giver of light. And obviously, John simply means to proclaim the impossibility of a certain kind of eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. When he says Jesus was life, he means that real life is, is connected to his person. You can't separate it. You won't find this kind of life anywhere else. It's an impossibility. In the next verse, John will elaborate on the nature of the darkness into which this light came. We'll dig into that in just a minute. But right now, he fastens the terms life and light. You'll notice that in that fourth verse. And he attaches them uniquely to Jesus Christ. And John means by this to show that there is a life from Jesus Christ that answers to the kind of darkness we are all in in this world. That's what makes John's call to life in Jesus, light in Jesus. It's not an accidental play on words. He He is light in the sense that he's the opposite of the darkness into which he came. He's the only remedy for our fallen self-deceptive, self-destructive, darkened desires and instincts that we can't free ourselves from. That's the darkness we're in, and Christ comes as light. That's the reason for John's carefully chosen word, light. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, verse 4. This answers to my need. You see, if we just had some nasty habits, well, we could try a little harder. We do that sometimes. Clean things up a bit, behave a little better. 
If we merely lacked a good example or a bit more education, well, there are plenty of options available. We don't even live up to the examples we have. But darkness, darkness. When I pastored in Lanigan, Saskatchewan, I had a number of young men who worked in the potash mines. Little church, about 40 people. And Neil Gillis got saved in the church. And he worked in the potash mines. And there are times when they're down half a mile in the earth. And he says, you get used to it. But the first few times, they would have power outages. And he says, you... you you can't even ponder what darkness is until you're down in half a mile underground and the power goes out. Darkness. See, if we just have some bad habits, we can clean them up. If we just need a good example or a bit more education, we can find that. But darkness, when you're in darkness, somebody has to come with light. I mean, we can't, we can't self-illuminate. That's why John picks that word darkness. When the lights go out and it's dark. And he says, Jesus comes and he's the only one. He brings light. John intends to tell us that there's a darkness in this world, in fallen hearts, residue still in ours, that won't be dispelled or displaced by anything other than the redemptive light given by God through his son, Jesus Christ. Our world does not get this. For all of its value, education won't eradicate the darkness. Change in government will not eradicate the darkness. Human laws, as necessary as they are, will not eradicate the darkness. Science, with all of its advances, can never eradicate the darkness. So take note of some big ideas in this fourth verse. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. I think, I think first John means to link together the original life we received from Jesus, the Creator, he means to link that with the sustaining of life that we need from his abiding presence in our lives. John isn't the only one to develop this. Listen to these words. He is the radiance. You see light here? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, this is not in the past, this is now present. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's presently what he does. Here's Paul. For by him all things were, this is past tense, were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were made through him and for him. That's past. Now look. He is before all things and in him, present tense, all things hold together. So the idea repeated here is this universe wasn't just created at one time by Jesus Christ and you and I along with it, but this whole universe and you and I 
continue to receive our existence by his life. John reminds us of this truth because there's an application to my life and yours. This is why John links together the two concepts of life and light in Jesus Christ. Just as there could be no life at all on this planet, apart from Christ's original creative work, there can be no ongoing illumination and light apart from the presence of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. You need that. There's not a verse for this. I just added it this morning, but John 15, 4 and 5. This is what Jesus was driving at when he said to his disciples, abide in me. Remember, Paul says all things hold together by him. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Then he, then he wants us to get it straight, very blunt. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Jesus is saying, don't get this mixed up. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Don, apart from me, you can do, you know the last word in that sentence? It's very humbling. Nothing. Doesn't mean you can play the piano, you can sing, you can do lots of things, but in terms of eternal significance. So that ongoing dependency in the present, the life from the creator, abiding in him. There's another truth in that fourth verse. We, we should be encouraged to trust in Christ in the face of our repeated sins and failures. So there's a warning and there's also hope. Because he, Jesus, is life in himself. In other words, he's the source, the source of light, the way light comes from the sun. It means, and he's God, it means it's impossible for him to tire or begrudge mercy and life to those who seek him. There is darkness, to be sure. John will talk about it in the next verse. And there are those, for sure, who won't come to Christ for life and light and grace. John will talk soon, 111, about those who refuse to receive him. So there is that problem. But for those who fasten their broken lives to Christ, his grace in him, in him was life. He's life itself. What that means is when I attach myself to Christ, I never have to fear that I am wearing out my bank account of pardon and mercy and grace. He, he has light like the sun has light. In him was life and light. It's an infinite supply. It's God. His grace isn't given out according to some final, finite resource. No. 
His life and light are who he unchangeably is. It can never be otherwise. Because he is the one who is mighty enough to sustain all things, Paul says, by the word of his power. That means his life, his light can never be depleted. Maybe you feel like, oh, Pastor Don, you you don't know me. I'm a loser. I've come back to Jesus so many times I couldn't count. Listen to me. If you come to Jesus right now and mean it with all your heart, you cannot cannot deplete his mercy and grace. You can't do it. Always come to him for light and life. Point number two. I want to talk about the nature of this world's darkness and its only solution. The light shines. This, this is where it shines. It shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's gospel is realistic right out of the gate. The greatness of Christ is placed against the curse of sin. And darkness. The light shines, to be sure, but it shines in the middle of unimaginable darkness. And the, and the reason John won't hesitate to spell this out is, is this. No one will treasure the light until he or she trembles and quakes at the nature and depth of the darkness. Ignoring the darkness through denial, ignorance, distraction, the gospel becomes just, just, just religious cosmetics. So the immediate question I want to look at now, and we're two-thirds done. What is this darkness? The light comes into the darkness. So he's explained the light in Christ's person. What, What is this darkness? And the question goes even deeper. Why did the Son of God have to come into this world to deal with it? That's been his declaration. The word was made flesh, he says, dwelt among us. Why was all that necessary? Why wasn't the world changed through the law of Moses? Why hasn't the world been changed through the writings of all God's prophets? Why hasn't the Sermon on the Mount fixed things? It's a pretty good sermon. That's the issue here as John describes the darkness. There's something clearly wrong. And notice, notice also the way John uses the term darkness to describe the chief characteristic of the world into which Christ came. It's not part of a problem. It it is the dominant feature of this world. So much so that its whole existence can be summed up in one word, John looks at life in this world. Everything you do from the time you get up to the time you go to sleep, he looks at it all and he says, darkness. Wow. That's incredible. Like, let that sink in. This isn't 
Louis Armstrong crooning, I sing to myself, what a beautiful world. This is God's word. No, let me, let me tell you what this world is. Without Jesus, dark. So John means to say, at the very least, John means to say that everyone is affected by this darkness. It's a universal condition. There's no one who escapes this darkness. We know the world was originally created good. God said so. So something's happened. It's all become darkness. That's where we are. What's the nature of this darkness? John's going to give us some of the features. The reason he's doing this is not to be negative. The reason John labors this is because he wants to say, you know what the answer is to darkness? Light. The light has come. But now what John, he won't just give this little platitude. He wants to flesh it out with meat. Here's why light is necessary. Look at the darkness, he says. First, the darkness manifests itself in mankind's constant and stubborn, you need that word, constant and stubborn rejection of the truth. John has just reminded us, verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. But the world chooses to ignore that. The world rejects that. Paul says the very same thing. More strongly, typically, John says it in this much space. Paul never does that. Paul, he wants this much space. So Romans 1, 18 to 20, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. So what, what is that? And what is that? And unless you think, well, they steal or they lie, He's going to say, no, 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 that, that's, that's not the problem. It's way darker than that. Ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Here's what they do. By their unrighteousness, and there it is. There it is. It's not that they don't know the truth. They don't like the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that exist that have been made, so they are without, without excuse. So Paul says the creative power of God is visible, it's plain, and he says, Here, here's by and large, here's what mankind does. It suppresses this. That's what John means when he says, there's darkness there. Not just badness, darkness. He means we don't want to face up to the implications of not being capable of self-rule. He means we don't want to face the fact that we were never designed to be independent. He means we don't like to face the fact that our own culture can't create its own values, that the quest for tolerance in our culture will always self-destruct. So that's the first thing about the darkness. It's a stubborn rejection of the truth. Secondly, the darkness manifests itself in the way that they always think of life in terms of themselves. 
rather than God. That's why John begins his gospel by declaring the creative rights of the incarnate Christ. He, he made everything. It's his. The darkness, John describes, lives as though Jesus Christ was not the creator of everything. Look at our world. Look at our world. People struggle against their own nature when they turn from God the Son. They confuse life. They frustrate its purpose. By exalting themselves, they insult themselves. That's what Paul means, Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. You watch the news? If you've ever seen a verse, that's it. When people forget they've been created in the image of God, they think they can build their lives the way animals build theirs. They build their lives around accumulation and desire and feelings, giving little place to Jesus Christ, the creator of all, the only one in whom there is life. They turn and they worship movie stars and celebrities and entertainment and pleasure. That's the darkness, John says. Third, the darkness manifests itself in the way people reject the light, even when it is brought right to them. God came here. God came right here. Bad enough that people should love darkness. For many, it's all they've known. But the real tragedy, the true nature of the darkness is revealed in the way it causes people to disregard the very thing that God designed to give them light. There's verses that we'll study shortly where John is absolutely emphatic about this. He was in, he was in the world. He wants us to get that. The world was made through him. He wants us to get that. And here's the conclusion. The world did not know him. 19, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. The people loved, see, there it is again, same word, darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Such is the power of sin in this world. I'm laboring it because John does. That's why I'm putting the verses there. I'm not just making stuff up that isn't in the text. John labors this in the text. He wants people to understand the darkness because, because he doesn't want them turning to any false solution. He wants them turning to the light. And the only thing that's going to make them turn to the light is if they realize, well, there's nowhere else to go. There are no other options. This is how sin works in human hearts and minds. It bends our interests. It twists our affections in the wrong direction. It robs our choices of good sense. Listen, it locks us into future sins by actually causing us to flee the truth in Christ. Does that describe your heart today? Somebody here? Do you find yourself wanting freedom in life in Christ on one level, but constantly choosing sin in another? That's the darkness. You can't get out of that. You can't free yourself. There's not a counselor on the planet who can solve that problem. You must come to the light. Three. 
Last point. Boy, Pastor Don, it's a gloomy Sunday morning you're doing here. Is there hope? Is there hope in the face of this darkness? That's a pretty big question. It's the important question, and I want to draw our hearts deeply into two hope-giving thoughts from verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. At the risk of being branded maybe too theologically dense for a Sunday morning, I want to read you a wonderful quote from one of the great commentaries on John's Gospel by Frederick Dale Bruner. And the only reason I'm doing the quote is because I knew I would never be able to say it as well. So sit up, shake your head, get your brain engaged, because we can do this. Listen to this quote. He's talking about that fifth. He's talking about this verse. He's talking about the verse that says, the light shines in the darkness, okay, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the verse he's talking about. The present tense verb in that fifth verse is really important. In the Greek, it would actually read, shines on. The light shines on in the darkness. And the present tense verb teaches several important truths. A, that though then, to all outward appearances, it seemed that Jesus was terminally executed and that darkness had won a decisive victory. And B, that though now, too, by most outward indications in the present world around us, it honestly seems that darkness, not light, is winning. And that, indeed, it is darkness that shines on still. And finally, C, that nevertheless, all appearances to the contrary, notwithstanding, it will always be the deepest fact in all of history that in John's inspired words, it is the light that shines on in the darkness, and the darkness cannot ever, ever put it out. That's what faith banks on. That's John's final word. The light just shines on, period. We have good evidence from the rest of God's word that John was right. I get this picture. It's just a picture. I get this picture of John alive today, and I'm sure it would bring him the greatest joy in all the world to just stroll over this whole earth with a sign. I wonder whether John saw how explosive the power of the light would be, and that if John could just drive all over the world in a big truck with signs, and he would hang them around the neck of maybe a billion people. And John would just keep hanging this sign around the neck of all these people, and the sign would read, Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
would John believe, given everything that happened from the Roman Empire onwards and all the persecution, and look at the corruption and decay of the moral values of the world in which we live, and he would find a billion people and put this sign around their neck. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Bow your heads with me, would you?